thewellnesscouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. This is Up for a Chat with Cindy O'Mara, Karen Smith, and Kim Morrison. Here we are, up for a chat about the hottest topics that are important to you, inspiring you to awaken the change within. I'm Karen Smith. I'm Kim Morrison. And I'm Cindy O'Meara. And she's eating mm-hmm. meat. Meat. Mm-hmm. Just, Engrossing them right out. Just, just, just putting it out there. And, and, and you know what? It really, it's, you know, I don't, yeah, good. Kim's going to get some fun. And the dog loves me. Ziggy loves me. (laughs) So, listeners, today we are at the beautiful, amazing, inspiring creature. Her name is Jess Ainscope. So, we're at Jess's house right now, and we've decided that we wanted to interview Jess because we believe she's got a story that will move the hearts and minds of millions. And she's also somebody who is blazing her own trail and her own path in the wellness genre. Where, uh, you know, plant-based diet, Cindy. <laughs> While I eat my meat. <laughs> While you eat your meat. <laughs> you know, plant-based diets are a way to go. And I have to say that, Jess, you've been an amazing inspiration for me because my diet has been nothing short of traumatic, mm-hmm. probably over the last sort of five or six years. And since you and I started working more closely together, I've watched you glow and grow And it's really inspired me. And you're one of the key people that I originally, well, you are the person that I originally started following with your um, Make Peace With Your Plate ebook Mm -hmm. and all of your recipes. You were the very first person that I started following and yours were the very first recipes and books that I downloaded. Oh, now that's Ziggy. That's... (laughs) That's, that's Jess's little baby who you're going to see a photo of when you go to the website. The cutest little thing you've ever seen. Quite demanding. Eating Cindy's meat. I love it. <laughs> Look at that face. Look at it. Look at that face. You like the way you lick your nose every time you eat the meat. Nice. 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 Look, where are those manners? Where are they? Where are they? He'll shake. He does know some of the tricks. He, will, he should put a sign in him that says, we'll shake for food. We'll shake for food. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, you've been a huge inspiration to me and, you know, on my path of, of moving from eating meat to having a plant-based diet and now, you know, being a little bit more, I think probably about 70 or 80% raw mm. now, thanks to you. So we thought that it would be a really cool um, podcast for you to share your story because it's certainly a story that a lot of people um, need to know about you know, in lots of contexts. So, and I'm not going to, you're not going to give anything away, but it would be really cool for you to share your story and your journey and how you've gone from where you were to where you are. Mm. Um, that would be really groovy. That would be really groovy. Yeah. So it all started back in. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it all started back in 2008, which was six, almost six years ago. In a couple of weeks, it'll be six years since it started for me. Yeah, on the 24th of April, 2008 was when I was diagnosed with a rare type of cancer called epithelioid sarcoma. And prior to that, I was living in Sydney. I was working at Dolly Magazine as their online editor. And I was just like climbing that career ladder. I had really high hopes for myself in the magazine industry. And my lifestyle, looking back, was just... 
typical of a young person. It was, a, it was a red. Yeah, yeah, but it was typical. I was 22. You were 22. Right. Yeah, so I was 22. And my lifestyle was so much fun. I mean, I had access to the best parties three, four nights a week where I was fed a steady stream of free alcohol and free canapes. And I, I didn't know how to take care of myself, but I didn't really see that as an importance because I was just having a ball. And most 22-year-olds don't because you are just having a ball. Your body mm. looks awesome. Mm. You've got energy to burn. You can back up day after day, hangover after hangover. You can back it up and go from like Thursday through to Sunday night with ease. Yeah. Yeah. I remember those days myself. Like yeah. it was just... Oh, no, they can't have been that good if you remembered them. <laughs> Touche. <laughs> Good point, that. Yeah, you should only be able to remember snippets. Yes. Yeah. 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 And then piece all those together. Actually, yeah. you shouldn't have any memory. The only thing you should have is photographs. Photographs. <laughs> now, all the young people don't listen to these three. I wasn't like that at all. No. No? No, I didn't do that. No? No, I didn't. Yeah. No, so not everybody does it. Actually, yeah. I was only talking to my sister today, and she was saying the same thing. She said because I was the youngest and she was the oldest, she kind of, you know, was the most responsible in the family. And because she was ahead and I could always look up to her, I knew she'd rescue me. I was the least responsible, so I got into all the trouble. <laughs> well, that's, it's, it's interesting, isn't it? The family yeah. dynamics of well, of my sister got into all the trouble. Yeah, and she I, was she, the oldest, and she was the oldest. Oh, and she, right. she got into. And, but then I watched what she was doing and how it hurt my parents. Right, and I didn't oh. want to hurt my parents because I love my parents, you know. Mm. And so it's really interesting, you know. I just, but I, I don't think she hurt them because she didn't love them. Did she? No, 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 not at all. She no. did it because that's what she wanted to do. She wanted to go out and party and drink and and smoke and whatever else she did. <laughs> and we know what she did because she got pregnant. <laughs> yeah, right. Very young. So back to Jess. <laughs> back to Jess. <laughs> not about us today. <laughs> so, so you're partying hard. Yeah. You're out all um, weekend. Yeah, and, and I didn't really know how good my body was supposed to feel because it was just pretty much always hungover. I mean, I was tired and I was hungover and I was struggling and my body was sick, but I didn't recognize it because I didn't have any kind of anything to compare it to because that's just how I felt all the time. I was always hungover or recovering from something or had lack of sleep or, and just burning the candle at both ends. And, but I was, I was doing really well. I mean, I had this amazing job. I had a great boyfriend. I had this. Were you with Talon? No, different boyfriend. Okay. <laughs> okay. No, that was someone else. Yeah, oh, right. That was somebody else. <laughs> right you are. Foot in mouth. Let <laughs> us not speak Hello, about it. We were friends back then. Because <laughs> right. Jess has got the most gorgeous, spunky partner and he's, and he's so good to you. Yeah. He's so, so good to you. So make sure you like weave him in okay. to the story <laughs> so when you meet him. Well, I met him when I was 19 and very much in my party phase. So our relationship now to what it was back then is polar opposites. Right. Yeah, because we, we, we fed off each other back then and in a, not in a good way. Whereas these days, it's the opposite. Yeah, yeah. right. Because he's very much like you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, he never used to be. He was, yeah. yeah. yeah cool, very okay. supportive of my old lifestyle. <laughs> Were you together back then? You mean? we were for four months, split up. I moved to Sydney, and then we got back together when I moved back to the coast. Nice. Mm. Okay, so go back to where you were partying. Okay. So yes, 
Um, so yeah, I was partying a lot. I was, I was drinking a lot. I was taking a lot of drugs, all of, all of the fun stuff that any typical person in their early twenties does. And then I was diagnosed with cancer. So how did, first of all, what was the mm. symptoms? Like what happened for you to even get to that point? Well, well, Sydney knows this story of when my symptoms started. Not many people know this because I don't speak about it often, but my symptoms started when I was 16 years old. And I can only know that now looking back and joining all the dots. But I had swelling around my left hand when I was 16. I went off to the doctor and I had blood tests done and they couldn't tell me why I had swelling in my hand. They gave me cortisol cream and they gave me all of this stuff to try and get rid of it. But the blood test came back and said that I had a very struggling liver. So they said my liver was basically not working properly. And he asked me if I was a a drinker. And I had to admit that, yes, I was. In front of her parents. In front of my mother in the doctor's doctor's office at 16 years old. Bugger. Caught out. Yeah. Yeah. Like busted. So that was the first sign that something was up with my body. But it was also the first sign that I ignored. I mean, I tried to stop drinking. I got three weeks. But then went right back because I... I was young and that's what everybody around me was doing and it wasn't convenient for me to clean up my life. So I just went right back to doing everything that I was doing. And it wasn't until back in 2006, my first year when I was living in Sydney, that my left middle finger started to swell and started to cramp up. And at first I thought it was like carpal tunnel or just a result of too much typing or something like that. But I took myself off to the doctor had the swelling taken out of my left middle finger. That was diagnosed as a benign tumor. And I was just sent away to say, okay, that's it. It's a benign tumor, all good. But then in the 18 months after that surgery, little lumps started to pop up all over my hand, arm, and all the way up to my armpit. Wow. And yeah, and then I had more scans done. I had ultrasounds, all of that. We biopsied some of the lumps, and this time it came back as malignant cancer. So this is diagnoses a rare form called epithelioid sarcoma. Were you on your own when you got told that? Yes, I was. I was, which is a bit... Oh, so they didn't say, bring someone with you? No, which was a bit shocking. My my parents were a bit angry about that, because I lived in Sydney, I lived with my boyfriend, but they didn't say, bring somebody in. I I thought I was going in there to get my stitches taken out, and my cast taken off, because my arm was in a cast. I was really excited, had the MTV Awards in a couple of days after that, and I thought, oh yay, getting the cast taken off, so it'll look good. And then, bam, they said... What do you you remember in that moment, feeling... What do you remember... And how did you feel? And did you have flashbacks? Or did you think, oh my gosh, what have I done? Or what, what went through your head? I just went numb. Like every time I get, because I've been diagnosed a couple of times now, and every time it happens, it's the same feeling of just numbness and a sickness in the stomach and just shock. Like I didn't cry. I didn't really show how I was feeling. I just kind of just went numb and just couldn't really believe that it was happening. And did your parents like, fly out? Did they? Yes, my mum was in holidays in Tasmania at the time. She flew up that afternoon, and Dad flew in that night as well. Yeah, and they basically didn't leave. <laughs> yeah, Mum pretty much moved herself in and started just researching everything and taking care of me. And she changed my diet pretty much from the start. And I, against with my resistance because I really didn't want to. Are you an only child? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So then they would have really committed and, mm-hmm. and, and wanting and when you say research was she quite a um 
a vigilant researcher, like yeah. interested in, in yeah. all options? Or? All options. Okay. Yeah. We didn't know much about alternative medicine back then. I mean, my nan had passed away from cancer, gosh, 2001, and we'd done a bit of research, or mum had done a bit of research back then. So she knew about things like ghosted therapy and juicing and all of that. So we started doing it, but not doing it properly. I mean, I was just getting juice from Boost Juice, and you know, that was okay. <laughs> and <laughs> That's healthy option. Yeah, yeah, I had no idea. Idea. Um, a smoothie at McDonald's. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, isn't that hilarious? <laughs> that is hysterical. <laughs> Let's get healthy. Smoothie yeah. at McDonald's. Yeah. Commercial <laughs> juice. Oh, oh, a healthy, well, a healthy yeah. version at Kentucky Fried Chicken is yeah. a wrap. Yeah. Mm. But well, I guess you don't, if you don't know, if you don't know differently. Yeah. Mm. Another another thing. I mean, you laugh about the Hungry Jacks thing. What did you say, KFC? I went to Red Rooster and I ordered a wrap. Just like, what did I get? I can't remember what it was, but I wanted something that I thought was healthy. And I'm like, yep, this is it. I'm doing a good job. I just had no idea. No idea how to take care of myself. Um, But mum was definitely the driving force behind all the researching and just became obsessed with it. And I hated it because she was telling me all of these things that I could no longer have. And I, I was just like, please stop reading. Stop taking away things from my diet. Yeah, I thought that my life was over because I was no longer allowed to eat uh, Thai food and pizza and I was no longer allowed to drink. And and what about your friends? What happened? Was there a, a network that surrounded you or did everyone pull away from you? Because you can have that polar yeah. extreme. No, they were amazing. I've got the best friends. I've had this same solid group of friends since I was 13 and they were just incredible. Mm. And then my friends in Sydney were the same, just amazing. Mm. Yeah, I haven't had any kind of people pull away from me throughout this whole journey, which has been really, really good. That's surprising. It's it's been surprising with how many changes I've made and in the beginning how much of an aggressive asshole I was Mm. pushing my beliefs on everybody around me. Well, were you like a reformed smoker? Kind of, yeah. Right, Right, one of those. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and no one left, which was good. (laughs) (laughs) They all made their tongue. They made allowances. I'm sure they spoke about me behind my back, but... (laughs) Quick, she's coming. Here she is. Hi. Ziggy knows. Yeah. Ziggy knows. And so, what happened? How long was this period of, of your mum researching? Mm. You're changing your diet. How long? What happened next? Gosh, that period lasted five years. <laughs> we just never stopped. It was just constant researching, surrounding ourselves with all of this information. Um, and in the beginning, because I was told that I had this cancer, and the, the doctors didn't really have any options for me, so they said that. Chemotherapy wasn't going to work, radiation wasn't going to work, and um, they, they couldn't really operate because there were so many tiny little tumours in my arm. We couldn't just cut them all out. So only your left arm? Only my left arm. So my doctors wanted to amputate. That was their first um, option, and that's what they thought was going to get rid of, or not, not even get rid of this. They said that it was going to buy me time. They said, so do you mind me interrupting you here? Yeah. Can you just explain what sort of cancer it is and therefore, yeah. and is it only in your arm that you get it? Is that what you're saying? It's soft tissue. Okay. So it's in the soft tissue of my left arm and it hasn't spread any further, which is um, good. Very, so very people good. can get it in any area it, of the body? Mostly limbs. It, it usually um, occurs in young adults and in the limbs first, and then it can spread to other body parts, but it starts in fingers, toes, arms. Yeah. Amazing, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. So, I just wanna, from Cindy's perspective, you know, 
I mean, she got the first symptoms at 16, but obviously there was no relativity around what it was. And then her life... So was it the environment or is that genetic? Like, what... Because her grandmother died of cancer. Like, does that... How would that have worked with someone like Jess? She wasn't partying and... Or she had just started partying and drinking at 16. Well, you you know, we have so many antecedents of our life, which is what's happened before. And we know that our grandparents, what they do, affect what happens to us. And they're even looking at five generations as epigenetics. So what our grandparents do affect the so many other generations. So we don't know, you know, nobody knows. It's like um, we're trying to guess. But no doubt something happened um, in Jess's life. But my other thought with Jess is, and where Jess has gone from this and everyone's going to learn this, is that if Jess, if this didn't happen to Jess, she wouldn't be where she is right now. No. She wouldn't have changed. And the fact that at 16 her body was telling her, hey, alcohol's not good for you, and she didn't want to listen, then she paid the consequences. And that's what most people do is that they don't listen to their bodies. Yeah. And they pay the consequences, whether it be 10 years, 15 years, 20 years down the track. So was it genetics? She may have had a gene there, but it would have been the um, environment that pulled the trigger. Because we know the genes are the loaded gun, but it's the environment that pulls the trigger. So I believe that you probably did have a a, a susceptibility to it. Um, Yes. And you probably did have that susceptibility to it, but then you kept drinking and you kept partying and you kept throwing in McDonald's, didn't you? Do McDonald's? Oh, God, yeah. Yes, you did McDonald's. Yeah. And not just that, I, I didn't like myself at all. Like, underneath it all, I wasn't, I wasn't very kind to myself. Beat myself up constantly. I thought I was fat. I thought I was inadequate. I didn't think I had a good personality. So not only was I abusing myself with alcohol and with poor foods, but um, mentally and emotionally, I, I wasn't... Do you think um, that's typical of women of that age? Totally. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and like Cindy said, I, I just truly believe that this was supposed to happen to me. I don't, I don't know. It was just supposed to happen. Of course. That's like, I don't regret. Like, people always ask me, do I regret everything that I did? Like, do I regret the drinking and the drugs? And not at all. Because it was so much fun. Like, <laughs> <laughs> so much fun. <laughs> So much fun. Don't listen to her, anybody out there that's 16. <laughs> I had a ball. The thing I regret was how nasty I was to myself mentally. Mm. I think, yeah, I think that played more of a part than, so than anything else. Talk about that. Like what used to go through your mind in, that makes it so memorable to you now when you reflect back on that time of your life? Because a lot of people would say when they look back on that time of their life, yeah, I was partying, I was doing this, I had this boyfriend or that girlfriend and I lived here and I had this job or I drove this car or travelled here or travelled there. But most people wouldn't have a recollection of the conversation that used to go on between their two ears. But yeah. you do, and it's obviously very poignant. Mm. So what was that? Um, I don't remember exactly what used to go through my head, but it was along the lines of just not feeling like I was good enough in any in any kind of scenario. Like I always felt like I wasn't good enough. Mm. Um, that yeah, that I that I didn't have a good personality, and that's one also one of the reasons why I drank so much because mm. I thought that that made me more fun and mm. more interesting and made me comfortable in in front of people. I mean, I was always always shy. I was especially shy in front of boys. Um, Very introverted in a way. And then alcohol kind of broke down those walls a little Mm. bit. So I just Mm. didn't think that I was good enough. 
What would you say to if there was a mothers and daughters listening or young women listening to this mm-hmm. now in hindsight? What would you say? Would you still say, "Hey, do the drugs, do the drinking, do the partying"? Like, is that seriously what you're saying? No. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, I mean, I think if if you, I I don't tell everyone anyone not to do it. I don't agree with the binge drinking and how much people write themselves off, especially especially me in the past. But like, I was always kind of sensible. Like, I didn't really write myself off that badly. I just had fun with it. Mm. Um, I didn't do it. I, I, like I've never had alcohol poisoning. I never got to that point. Mm. Um, I just had fun. Mm. But yeah, I do think there's a big issue with teenagers doing that because they just go and they write themselves off. But do you think they're doing that because of the same feelings you have? Yeah, the inadequacy. Yep, totally. So I think what, that's a big how do we stop force. We just need to teach girls more about self-love. Like if somebody had said to me back then, you need to love yourself, I would have laughed. Like I would have thought, oh God. I wouldn't even know what it meant. I would had never have said to myself, "I love myself," because it just felt so foreign. But you had such loving, caring parents. Absolutely. So where did that mm. come from? Do you think? But then, I mean, the conversations I had with them weren't really around this stuff either. Like, no, they were very loving and very supportive and amazing. I had the best. I've got the best parents ever. But we never had conversations around self love at all. And most families actually don't. No. Like most no. normal traditional families, yeah. you're just doing the do every day and mm. going to work and coming home and having, you know, family time and maybe going and doing stuff, but nobody's really talking about the feelings of inadequacy that lives at the feet of every human being. Yeah. Of the I'm not good enough that has us all by the throat. We're never talking about that with our kids. And, and getting our kids to express where that's come from, how they're feeling, and what other alternatives exist. It's just not part of a day-to-day conversation. Yeah, not at all. And not until it's too late. Mm. Until some, the kids are either, we either get sick or we land up with, you know, psychological barriers mm. that stand in our way to progress. Well, sometimes what creates the opportunity for that is there's a family breakdown or there's a, yeah. an, a fight between siblings or there's an issue that you then all sit down and address. But mm. there was a great little thing that I got given years ago. Just It was actually a gift. I got when I was pregnant and it was called Conversations at the Table Mm. and it's a little um, box and I reckon you could make your own one but it was a little box and and we'd all put it on the table when the kids were little and of course they couldn't read and we'd put they'd choose a card and it would be like um, tell everyone what was the best part of your day today Mm. and um, and another one was what if, if if money was no option what would you want to do with you and your family um, and it was like conversations that you just, you know, and, and tell tell everyone at the table what you think of yourself. Yeah. And it was a it's very clever um, way yeah. to start I think young if people. If my parents talking. had tried to do that with me as a teenager, I would have just. No, I'm talking them. when they were young. Yeah. So for me, yeah. so for us, it's normal in our family to have a conversation like this. But I'm sure it's because it started, started when they up. were young. Yeah. I mean, I was so given cool. that when I was pregnant. That's amazing. Yeah. And so yeah. you know, just recently. Jacob had a bit of a meltdown and he was actually really aggressive and being really horrible and everyone was just like, what's your problem? And everyone was getting angry and aggressive back until I could see the break in him and then we sat at the table and he fell apart and then we all just um, energetically hugged him. No one moved but everyone was kind of like sitting there and it came out and we just allowed him the space to say it and his fear was being the son of a cricketer and he'd got out that day on a low score or something or other and he actually felt like he was never going to be good enough because mm. he was the son of 
Now, I'm you saying this, I'm sitting here going, I'm really grateful we actually have these conversations. Yeah. That we all told him how amazing he is. And, and even if he doesn't believe it, he's hearing it verbally. And I'm hoping through that conversation. So that might be something that would be, I mean, to me, hearing you say that makes me realise how important it is that we have these conversations. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and you don't have the conversations at school either. I mean, you don't get taught this amongst your group of friends. It's never spoken about. I mean... We feed off each other's um, negative self-beliefs. Mm, mm. Like we sit there and go, oh, God, I'm so fat today. And then somebody yeah. else goes, no, oh, God, no, I'm so fat today. Yeah, yeah. And then it's that's nobody breaks that. It's just you go around the circle talking about how crap you are. And how crap everybody else is. Because yeah. at that age, you're bitching about yeah. everybody else, yeah. talking about everybody else, mm-hmm. and everybody's talking about everybody. Yeah. And then everything gets back to everybody, and it just, it just feeds yeah. that whole... You know, this is yeah. really interesting because... My era, that didn't happen. Yeah, there was no, there was, there was no talk about being fat. Mm. You know, I, mm. I, there was no conversation. I remember we used to sit out with our skirts up to our, yeah, um, as far high as we could get, and with our, and we were in school uniform and our, um, sh- our socks down, and getting a tan every lunchtime, mm. talking about we needed to shave our legs. You know, well, there was never a conversation back then. So our generation Cindy's was very different. Old. <laughs> I am She's older. I, I'm older. definitely a lot older. <laughs> I'm your mum's era, you know. I'm your mum's era. And, and we just, I'm not, listen, I'm ignoring her right now. Well, I, I guess my mum was the same. I mean, mm. she never had any body issues really. No. So... I don't know. We we never spoke about that at home because. But I think you think about the magazines and the things yeah. that we look at and yeah. we compare ourselves yeah. to and what yeah. we want to be and you know yeah. the girls who get the guys. You know, you look at those sorts of people and then we compare ourselves yeah. to that. And when we're not that, or what we see in the mirror doesn't reflect that, mm. then we're going to have something yeah. to say about it. And ourselves. I also didn't just I just did not feel good about myself because I was feeding myself so much crap, like. These days I've gotten to a place where I absolutely love my body, but it's so clean. It, it looks like how it's supposed to. Like mm. I'm, I'm my ideal weight. And mm. um, like if you look at photos from when I was 14, it's quite shocking. Mm. Right, you're getting them out after this. I want to see them. <laughs> yeah. oh, well, I can't imagine. They're hilarious. Are they? I can't imagine. Hilarious. Because what we see in front of us, everybody, um, oh. is a, a young, beautiful, young, um, svelte, gorgeous <laughs> young woman. So I can't imagine. That like I wasn't, I, you would not look at me and say that I was fat, hmm? but I had a round, of, much rounder face and so just, a bit of puff. Yeah, a bit of, I was just puffy. Yeah, yeah. I was puffy. But I, most yeah. young women and men, ah, if you look at the schools yeah. these days, yeah. they look like they're that. puffed. Just yeah. swollen. Puffy, and, and, and you yeah. saying that you didn't feel very good, you had no comparison. Mm-mm. So I'd imagine that most of our kids these days are feeling this way mm-hmm. because they don't know any other feeling. Yeah. It's quite scary. Yeah. It's quite sad that yeah. they don't know and they think that by having two minute noodles or yeah. with a, a few vegetables maybe thrown in there, maybe, or they think that having takeaways only once a week or 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 they think by putting these chemical things like um, proactive on their skin yeah. to stop the yeah. pimples that have been caused through what they're eating anyway, you know, that it's it's a vicious cycle yeah. actually. It's quite yeah. scary. Absolutely. We just have no idea. 
and that's what drives the self-loathing because you don't feel good that and that's i think that's the crux of it Mm. is that when i was growing up we had real food only real food and so we fed our physical body what it needed and therefore of course your physical body and your mind or your brain is connected yeah and whereas your era you know this was the beginning of fast foods and um, foods that weren't real anymore and um yeah. Ziggy, Ziggy has a lot to say. Yeah. A lot to say. Oh, Ziggy. To say on the oh, he shouldn't have started. He talks. Him. He's so he funny. Change. He's actually having a little conversation. He's actually agreeing with me that you know that was the case back then, yeah. is it? Yeah. And then when you Ziggy. started, when you started, you know, eat, when it, the foods were different. Yeah, and, they were. We've got to realise that the physical body and the brain is so connected. Yeah, it's so connected that. Um, one, when you're feeding one, you're feeding the other. Yeah. And it's it's both ways. It's how you feel about yourself because we know there's behavioural epigenetics now mm. and behavioural epigenetics says that what you think changes your, you know, your cell structures, yeah. you know, and, and changes your cell biology. So just take us back to the story. Take us back to the journey uh-huh. in terms of um, what... What happened? So the doctors gave you a diagnosis. They said that amputating your arm was only going to buy you time. Mm-hmm. This part of the story I find is actually, for me, the most inspirational. Mm. When you... Because um, they, they did give you chemotherapy, mm-hmm. didn't they? They, they? they pumped your arm full of chemotherapy. Yeah. And, yeah. yeah. So, so amputation was the first thing that was on the table. And this was probably the lowest point of my whole journey. Because I felt like I had no op- other options. I felt like the only thing that I could do to prolong my life was to amputate my arm at the shoulder. And I didn't want to do it. I It made me feel sick. Like I, I went through a good week with this, trying to make this decision of whether to do nothing or to do this amputation. I really wanted to do nothing. Um, but I had everybody around me. I, I, like... I don't know. I felt like it was my responsibility to do something. So I signed those papers and agreed to have the amputation and I was all booked in to have it. And I, gosh, I spent hours at work Googling prosthetic arms, just trying to find some kind of peace with this situation that Mm. I thought I had no other option Mm. but to take. Um, But a couple of days before I was due to have the operation, my doctor's receptionist called and said, all of the doctors have had a meeting because I had several doctors on this case being such a weird one and they want to try something else. And so that's when they came up with this isolated limb infusion, which was a super high dose of chemotherapy that they pumped through my left arm. They tourniqueted at the shoulder and they just pumped the arm full of drugs. They said that it was about 10 times as much as they would put into a regular body because dosing, they had to tourniquet it off and not allow it into my body because if you put that into a regular body, you would die. It would kill you. It would kill you. So they pumped it through my arm and they thought, okay, well, regular chemo won't work, but if we up the dose this much, maybe it will have some kind of effect. Well, it burnt my arm from the inside out. It was so painful. My arm swelled up to like 10 times its regular size. And, I mean, it's been six years and I'm still dealing with swelling and damage that's in this arm. But I still don't say that I regret that decision because if I hadn't have done that, I would have had an amputation. Mm. So it was the, the best of, of a not very good uh, few options. Mm. But the other thing was that it also didn't work. So um, a few, oh, gosh, 18 months after I had 
that procedure done, I was re-diagnosed with the same type of cancer. And this time they said that the only thing they could offer me was an amputation. But because it, we'd had like time and we'd had space from the doctors and we'd had uh, an opportunity to go away and do even more research. And in that time, I'd, I'd gained a lot of information about how amazing our bodies are and how they can actually heal and all of these things that I had no idea about before. And I discovered that if I treated my body with respect and I detoxified it, cleaned it up, looked after my mind and committed my lifestyle to getting well, there was a very good possibility that I could. So for me, it was the best decision to say no to the amputation and to just try and do everything to live an amazing life and to try and turn my health around. Mm. So there was a lot of risk associated with that, though. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. did they tell you that there was a possibility that it would spread to yeah. the rest of your body? Yeah. Yeah. So when you made the decision to not have the amputation, you made the decision knowing that there's a possibility that this cancer is going to spread to your body and then ultimately that would be the end. Yeah. How did you come to terms with that? And much much more also, how did your family come to terms with that choice? Mm. Well, I personally came to terms with it by thinking I would rather pass away having tried my very best to live an amazing life and to treat my body well. I figured, okay, if this is the way, and this is how I still feel, if this is the way that I'm supposed to go, then it's the way I'm supposed to go. I don't feel like I can cut my body up and take bits away. That's just my personal belief. It's not for everybody. Other people would feel more comfortable having the surgery and going down that way. But for me personally, I, it just, there was no decision. Mm. Yeah, it was just, this was the way it was supposed to be for me. And I knew something bigger was happening. I knew this wasn't just about me and my cancer. Like I knew, I just had this gut instinct that something bigger was at play. And so I just trusted that. And my family were just supportive of whatever I was going to choose. They had done, also done all of the research, so they they knew how I was feeling and what I was thinking and the thought process behind it, so they were behind me 100%. Wow. Yeah. And, and where did – I don't know if I'm fast-tracking mm. too much, but where did the wellness warriors start? What, like, what happened? Where, mm. have, have I missed a journey? No. Well, it started – it pretty much started a couple of weeks before I went over to Mexico to start Gerson therapy. So part, a big part of my journey has been two years of Gerson therapy. And a couple of weeks before I went over to Mexico to start that, I started my blog because I, I was a writer in my past life and I was very much craving that creative outlet again. But I wanted to do it without being censored because I was... <laughs> edited. <laughs> yeah, we're not being edited because I knew that the things that I wanted to write about would be. So I thought, okay, a blog's the perfect way to do that. I can say whatever the hell I want and no when, one's What year it. was this? 2010. Okay. Mm. Just when blogging started. Yeah, really. yeah, yeah, yeah. So there weren't... I mean, blogging had been around for a little while, but there weren't... It, it wasn't as saturated as, as it is now. So I was definitely one of the first, I guess, in Australia the, of the wellness blogs. Um, yeah. And how did you come time. up with the wellness warrior? Oh, I'd seen it in a lot of places. I, th- I think I'd mentioned Dr. Oz had said it a few times. Chris Carr had used it in her terminology. And it just made me feel empowered. 
it just made me feel really good. So I thought I'm just going to call myself that. <laughs> I thought if I call myself that from the start, then that's how I'm going to feel from the start. Nice. And that's how I needed to feel. I didn't want to feel like a victim and I didn't want to feel like I was suffering from cancer. I wanted to feel like a warrior. A warrior, a warrior yeah. is it's a, it's a powerful, powerful mm. term, um, mm-hmm. you know, and it, it goes back centuries. Yeah. So I, I loved it. When yeah. I saw it, I just loved yeah. it. Yeah. And for me, it wasn't about, it wasn't about fighting the cancer. No. I've never wanted to fight it because I've known it's part of me and you can't fight against something that's part of you and expect to win. So for me, warrior was just about empowering and yeah, being in control of, of where my life was going. I remember sitting in, uh, I, was, I had a meeting with my web developers and I was sitting there in reception at the University of Queens, uh, Sunshine Coast and I looked down and there was a magazine sitting there with a woman covered in cabbage leaves and I remember picking up, I'd never heard of you before this, and I, I think... Were, were we together? I, were we? Yeah, I just I remember the same thing, yeah. Were we? The cabbage leaf girl. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I remember reading your story and getting a real tear in my eye and thinking, God, I'd like to meet you one day. So it's quite cute that we're sitting here. <laughs> um, but I remember reading that and I remember feeling like you weren't fighting anything. You were standing up and you were speaking a language that really resonated with me around wellness. Mm. So tell me how you went from your partying days now into thinking about blogging and how did that feel to transition into now writing about everything that you weren't in your early years? <laughs> yeah. Well, it's been an interesting process. I mean, in the, in the beginning of my blog, I was quite, quite angry and very passionate. Uh, I'd just been through uh, a very big ordeal for somebody so young. Like, I, I didn't really realize it. I've only just started to think about that now. Um, about everything that I had to go through and where how my writing reflected that because I was pissed off at what what happened to me. Um, and so I was uh, very angry at what I was writing about. I was writing about all of the injustice with the medical system and doctors and all this stuff. And I've since evolved from that and softened and my perspective is much wider. Um, but it's that's, matured. It's matured, definitely. Mm-hmm. A little bit of wisdom. I trying. still, I, I read my old posts sometimes and I cringe and just go, oh my God, <laughs> did I really write that? <laughs> but I remember Madonna saying that. I look back at who I was when I did like a version. She goes, I can't even look at it. So I mean, it must be wow. that whole. I think like, I've grown up on my blog. Um, so it's, yeah, it's yeah. interesting reading those early posts. Because I was so, so, so many rants. <laughs> Honey, I read my, my diary at 15 years of age the other day. I, I, I can't. That's what it's like. Yeah, no, no, no. But you can imagine, I can imagine yeah. what it would have been like for you. Like, you would have had lots of emotion going yep. on that you didn't know what to do with it. Yep. All of these foreign feelings, and you would have been trying to reconcile and make sense of the life that you'd been dealt. Mm-hmm. And yep. you didn't ask for it. Yeah. So getting it out in a blog, I think, also, too, would have... Um, one being very cathartic for you, yeah, because instead of it being in, it was out. Yeah. But then also because you shared your blog so nakedly, mm-hmm. invulnerably, I think that's why you would have started to accumulate the following that you did mm-hmm. because you didn't pull anything back, you didn't pull any punches, you just yeah nail it to the wall. <laughs> yeah, you know? and I, I still do, and that's the, that's the thing. I mean, my blog essentially it's evolved, but it's still a personal blog. I still write very nakedly yeah. I it's all so transparent and I think that's also why I get criticized because in the beginning 
I was writing to a very small audience. I thought it was just my friends and my family who were reading it. And over the years, more and more people have started to read it. And now it's like, I think we've hit 4 million unique new visitors, which is just insane. That's amazing. And I know. I checked my stats the other day and I almost fell off my chair. Holy like, crap. But at the same time, no, I don't because that's why, that's why they people want the, are yeah, coming cool. over. Um, but I do recognize that I have a responsibility now. <laughs> yeah. um, but I think that's also why I get criticized because I am still so open and so vulnerable and I don't hold back. I say exactly how I'm feeling. And even though my opinion has evolved, I, that part of it hasn't. I yeah, still yeah. want it to be very open and, but, you know, I, um, one of the things I want to say is that when I read your blog for the very first time, mm. I, I was so engaged. Mm. I couldn't stop reading. Yeah. It was like there was – I was compelled to read. You write with such um, unbelievable com- compulsion. Is that the word? I don't yeah, know what it is. It's just incredibly compelling. Compelling. It's very compelling. That, like that's that's. Uh, I had two things I wanted to say because you brought up a second thing. Um, oh, um, your responsibility. Mm. So, you know, we know what we know now and we say what we say now on our knowledge. Yeah. And I listen to immunologists who say, do not listen to what I said, 1985 and 1995. Our knowledge has changed. Yeah. We've, we, we know more about the immune system. So in my way of thinking, you're writing exactly the way you're meant to be writing it and you're saying exactly what you should be saying, not... And I wouldn't curb my tongue no. if I was you. I would I would say exactly what I was believing and thinking and we that we have freedom of speech, mm-hmm. although that is beginning to change, you know. We, we, we've got the HCCC in New South Wales that um, are stopping people like you saying what they want to say. So I say keep saying it as long as you can. And, oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And I... And I that's the beauty of the medium that you've chosen yeah. because yeah. you're not beholden to anybody yeah. in terms of the content that you write and the way that you write. You write the way that you write and mm. thems that doesn't like it, thems does not have to read it. Exactly. And thems exactly. that loves it, thems can read it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I think so, that, so just so that people that don't know you listening mm-hmm. to this, what are you talking about that is creating criticism and how, are you, how have you learnt to evolve to cope with that criticism? Um, I, I think my, my story in general, it, it attracts criticism because it's it's not conventional. I mean, I've gone down a path that is right for me, but it's not right for everybody. And there are a lot of people out there who have strong opinions about the path I've chosen. And these, are the, these people can be quite vocal about it. So they like to, to tell me. <laughs> That's not approved. Well, you've got four million unique yeah. There's going to be someone that doesn't exactly. like what you're saying. That's the other thing. And I mean, yeah. that's also why I really, like, I, I pay attention to the criticism because I, I try to see if there's any truth in what they're saying. And I like to learn from the truth. Mm-hmm. I've learned so much from my critics. Um, but at the same time, I, it doesn't really phase me because, I mean, did it phase you in the beginning, yes. though? Yes. And did it push buttons back to when you were fearful of rejection and not being good enough a and everything? Did it push bit, buttons? A little bit. I mean, I've never started my blog in order to be popular. So right back then, I was more flipping the bird to the computer screen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think we all do that one, don't we? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So you, you talk about the path that you've chosen. <laughs> <laughs> you oh, do, though. If only we had a photo of that. <laughs> oh, my goodness. But you do. You get 
gets so yeah. angry and yeah. you just go. Yeah. <laughs> these days, these days I have less anger. Like yeah. I, 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 yeah. it still stings sometimes, yeah. especially yeah. when they're quite personal and horrible. It's oh, like, yeah. oh, why things are nasty? But um, I realise that the more people I get on board, of course, the more criticism I'm going to attract. So you you mentioned that you've gone down an unconventional path. Mm-hmm. What is that path? Uh, well, I've chosen at this point not to have any conventional treatment. I mean, there is no conventional treatment that is effective for what I have. Mm. And my doctors will all agree on that. Right. They, I mean, amputation is all that they can offer me. And even that's not good enough for me because they can't give me a cure. It's just a Band-Aid, really. Mm. They said that it's going to spread. So for me going down the path of just choosing to clean up my diet. Like I said before, I did Gerson therapy for two years, which is basically a very long, intense detox program. So what did that involve? Because that's, as you said, it's very intense. Yeah, it's very intense. So it's um, hourly juicing. So this is, it's a very intense program that you have to do all the different parts of. So you've got to do hourly juicing, fresh, from straight from the juicer, um, veggie juices, and then it's coffee enemas. What's the idea? Coffee. I knew you were going to do that. No. See, hoses up bums with coffee in it. I don't know. My favourite. Have have you not heard the way she likes her coffee? (laughs) Shot black and upper ass. ass. (laughs) Give me strength, you people. I don't mean to criticise. Oh, lordy, lordy. All right, carry on. I love her. Uh, seriously, oh. my mission in this life is to make coffee enemas cool, and it's oh. happening. It is. Oh, I, agree. I agree. I yeah. agree. You have made it cool oh, because, so. and I reckon that little bit short blacking up. Yeah. You know what? Yeah, it's going to be a trend. You know, it's ground will be doing it soon. I'm That's sure of it. Yeah. yeah. Oh, <laughs> while you're having your short black, you can go out the back and have another short black. <laughs> yeah, here's a short black while you have your short black. <laughs> Surf my short black. Give me strength. It's always, it's always about poo or tart or something. You know, I guess like, you brought it up. Jess brought yeah, it up. I know. I know. It's a great topic. It had to come up at had to come up. You were asking the question. Yeah. I know. Yeah. So carry yes. on. Yes. 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 Coffee enemas. Once a day? Five times a day. Great. Right. Five times a day. In the beginning of Gerson therapy, it's five times a day. That reduces over the time. But uh, still now I do two a day. She's addicted. <laughs> I tried to go down to one and I couldn't. <laughs> she means I just couldn't. really like them. It's addictive. It's addictive. It's coffee. It's they, caffeine. They make you feel good. What do you do when you're away? Can you do them when you're oh, you can. Yeah. yeah. I've got a travel kit. Nice. On the plane? I don't do it on the plane. Right. I do it when I land, though. It's the best way to clear those plane toxins out. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I'm with you. Best way to make you feel good after a big flight. Straight nice. to the bathroom. Nice. What, what, what? What? The bathroom at the airport? No. At, at the hotel. Yeah. <laughs> She'll wait that long. Good I'll get my bags first. I can't even picture it, man. Like, I can't even wrap my head around it. <laughs> Does it have to be a certain coffee? Yes, it's got to be organic. You can't go putting, like, Nescafe up your ass. <laughs> Check in case anyone was listening. <laughs> Just don't try this at home, please. I've got a how-to video on my website. There you go. We have a how-to. And what, where, where would we go for that? Uh, you just go to my website and type in coffee enema into the sidebar and it'll come up. But the yeah. website is the Wellness Warrior. Well, actually, I've just switched the URL over to jessainsco.com. Nice. Only my own name. Nice. Good search. Yeah. 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 Very cool. Nice. Yes. But the Wellness Warrior will still take you there. 
Uh, yeah, so coffee enemas, uh, and then there was castor oil, which is another, uh, yeah, that also gets a few wide eyes. Castor oil every second day, taken orally, first thing in the morning, to like give your body a really intense clean out. So it basically gives you the runs, and oh, sit very close right. to the toilet, because it cleans everything out. Including the good bacteria? No, not including the good bacteria. It's a, it's a gentle way of doing it. Not, not like a colonic, like a colonic will get rid of the bad, the good bacteria as well. Um, it, it, yeah, it just strips all of the muck out of your system. Now, I know I'm a nutritionist, mm. but I have no idea where castor oil comes from. Where does it come from? It's a plant. Oh. Yeah, it's some kind of plant. I'll uh, Google that. You can Google, because uh, I don't know, like, what if Google's what wrong? But I, I believe Google's it's a plant. Wrong. So it's a flower or something. Yeah. So, so the oil, like if it's if it's a is a cold pressed oil. Yeah, cold it? pressed oil. So it must be a nut or a seed. Then. Mm. It can't uh, be. Yeah. Or, or, or maybe it's not a cold pressed oil. Don't quote me on this stuff. Yeah. No. Uh, yeah. But castor Did, oil. If wasn't you, castor oil given like in the fifties? Yeah. Like, I remember my grandma. It's been like, given as punishment. Punishment. Yes. Given. Yeah. It's been given. It's a traditional. It is actually powerful. a traditional treatment. It's just like iodine was seen as a poison but it was used as a traditional treatment yeah. for for hundred at least a hundred years and it's now coming back into vogue because they've realized that um what they thought was the poison um it was due to a research project is is not yeah and it's the same with all these old traditional yeah. um healing arts you know herbs are coming back everything's coming back coffee enemas i don't know when that yeah. hippocrates was yeah. that castor oil comes from the castor oil plant yeah. oh. And it's a species of flowering plant. Okay. I got it right. Um, <laughs> good. Good work. Yeah, the evolution of castor and its relation to other species are currently being studied using modern genetic tools. So it's a very old plant then, obviously. Its seed, its seed is the castor bean, which, despite its name, is not a true bean. Castor is indigenous to the southeastern Mediterranean basin in eastern Africa and India, but is widespread throughout the tropical regions. Um... Castor seed is the source of castor oil, which has a wide variety of uses. That's from the seed. Wow, it's a seed. It will clear that right up. That's what it, I'm sure it was like an yeah. old wives' tale yeah, totally. for constipation. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, my, grandmother, my grandmother used to and, talk about it. It's really powerful. And you'd have a teaspoon. Was it a teaspoon of molasses or something they were giving as well? There was like you got a teaspoon. I used to take two tablespoons of castor oil, and that would just clean you out. Yeah, clean me out. You have to sit very close to the toilet. Within second, like minutes. Uh, half an hour, probably. Okay. Where do you get yeah. it from? Um, the organic store. Right. Health food stores can order it in if they don't stock it. Um, that's what and online, probably. Online. Yeah, yeah, just make sure it's organic. Um, yeah. Do you still take it? Uh, no. I would like to, but I after doing it for so long... I, oh. <laughs> I like that look. Oh. <laughs> okay. So, so, so you're... But, but, Hang on, let's just clarify this. You won't have a teaspoon of castor oil, but you'll shove a tube up your Two tablespoons. Two, okay, so you won't have a teaspoon. It makes you feel like you're hungover. Oh, it's horrible. Oh, right, no, the okay. taste is bad. You're out for the whole day. You can't do anything. Oh, really? Oh, God, no. Uh-uh. Oh, okay, fair enough. Uh-uh. Okay, fair enough. Oh, yeah, right. Every, and I had to do this every second just... day. Okay, so every second day I was pretty out. much out of it. Um, brain. Were you, were you over there doing this? You were I was long? in Mexico for three weeks, right. and then I came home and I did it all for two years. Wow. Yeah. What else did you have to do? Um, I had to completely overhaul my diet. That was the other massive part of it. So I had to eat all organic, still to do to this day. It's my biggest thing. Um, I had to eat basically vegan, 
So, um, and a lot of food, like my diet was the same every day, but it was a lot of food. So I had like rolled oats for breakfast every day. Lunch was a bowl of Hippocrates soup, which is a special veggie soup, a big plate of salad and a baked potato and cooked vegetables. So I'd have all of those elements for lunch and for dinner. Wow. Mm. That's a lot. Yeah. And you have to, that's part of the program. You can't skip on any of it. And then you're doing those 13 juices, 13 juices juices every hour. hour. So So you never really left the house for two years, did you? Because I remember um, when you were in the cabbage dress on the the front of the magazine, I went, I'm not going to meet her one day. I'm going to meet her now. (laughs) So I ended up ringing Jess and I just, because I felt that I needed to talk to you. I just felt I needed to say to Jess. What was her number in the magazine, was it? No. Can you just get in touch with someone on the cover of a magazine? I'm sure I stalked her. I remember, I think Howie, your husband, sent me an email and said, Cindy Amira wants to connect with you. I almost fell off my chair. (laughs) (laughs) Are you serious? (laughs) (laughs) I've got to have a book on my bookshelf. (laughs) (laughs) Me and my mum thought it was the coolest thing. And then Cindy came over to the house. We were so excited. Well, she, she couldn't leave the house. No, she, yeah. she didn't ever leave the house. So I went, well, I'll come to you. Yeah. So, and it was just because, you know why I wanted to connect with Jess is that here Jess was a very young girl who had overhauled her life. And I felt that she was a beacon of light for other young mm. women, mm. especially. I, you know, and I know there's a lot of men out there that are in trouble too, but you, for me, was someone who was holding the torch. You know, so, you know, I'm in, I was in my 40s, obviously, late 40s when I first met you. Uh, oh, okay, almost 50. Um, but I just felt that, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I wasn't getting to that young group. Mm. And so I wanted just to know that, you keep going, you keep doing what you're doing and you let these people know. And now what I'm seeing, Jess, like you were the first and now it seems to be rampant. There are so many young women that are getting this. And, you know, I was just at a conference, 800 women in the room and, and maybe 20 men. And that was it. And they were all wanting to be coaches of health. And, you know, and your name was mentioned by one of the speakers, um, Plus, I think there are a couple of other young women. And, I, you know, I think it's really important. That was what how I felt. I needed to encourage you. And, yeah. and I went to meet you, you oh, know. That was yeah, awesome. It was really cool. You've really gone on cool. to write a forward of my book. Yeah. <laughs> I, was so, I felt so privileged for that. That was, that was amazing. And, amazing. And your book, Make Peace With yes, Your Plate. Make Peace With Your Plate. So, yeah, that came, how beautiful. That came about. It was first an e-book. Um, and then I got a publishing deal with Hay House and turned it into a, a proper book and extended on it. And it's um, it's very different to the ebook. A lot of people think they're the same, but it's very different to the ebook. Um, it goes into a lot more of my personal story. It's a brilliant. It does book. actually. It's yes, <laughs> a lot of stuff in there that I haven't spoken about mm. at all on my blog. But or, as much as you're speaking a lot to the younger generation, I sent your book to my stepmother mm. who's suffering with um, cancer. Mm-hmm. And she just rang the other day and said, I'm halfway through the book. I, she'd only just got it. Mm. I'm halfway through Jess's book. I can't put it down. Oh, it's right. really inspiring. Yeah. So she's a grandmother yeah. and getting something from yeah. it. So I think that's the beauty of the way that you're writing, yeah. that you are actually, mm. you know, I think it's wonderful. I think it's appealing and I think it's it's real. Yeah. That's what it is. Yeah. It's real. Yeah. Um, and you give hope. You know, there's alternative. Like so many people go down the path of thinking, 
And I'm not knocking conventional medicine. I, I, you know, there's a place for it, but some people think it's the only answer. Yeah, exactly. Now, for some people, it might be the right answer. But the fact that there's a lot of people out there feeling like it's not right for them, I think you're giving people options. Yes. And, and it's okay. You're still here. Yeah. And I think yeah. the encouraging part about that is that mm-hmm. you, you are evidence that there's not just one way. Mm. There's lots of different ways. Yeah. And yeah. it's inspiring to see that somebody's prepared to put the research in mm. to save themselves mm. as opposed to just accepting that there's one way and resigning ourselves to one way. Yeah. It's about providing choice and options that are viable mm. as opposed to, you know, when, when, when I think about other people that I know that have been through um, cancers, it, it, it's, it's the most frightening thing. Obviously, and you know about that. So it's the most frightening thing in the world. And you just want the answer. You just want somebody to give you the answer. And usually that's the medical ind- yeah. med- medical fraternity, and that's the only place to go. Mm-hmm. So most people get caught in that whole medical model, whereas you've, you're living, breathing, walking proof of, of there's, there's actually choices. Absolutely. And, I mean, I still have cancer in my body. Uh, a lot of people think that I'm, that I'm cured because I, I don't look like I have cancer and I don't go around saying it because it's not part of my identity. I've completely detached from it, really. It was just part of my journey. I still have cancer in my body, but it doesn't affect the way I live in any way, apart from the fact that it makes me more conscious that I'm mm. treating myself with so much respect on a moment-to-moment basis. Mm. Um and it's a brilliant teacher for me and I don't feel like it will leave my body until it's taught me everything that it's supposed to. Jess, why so, do you think why do you think people have to get cancer to live well? I Isn't don't that know. freaky? It's so freaky. Like Karen yeah. says it in her talks. Yeah. Don't get a bomb put underneath yeah. you to wake up. Yeah. Why I'm I'm just sitting here thinking mm. why are we that ignorant to think that it's not until we're presented with a life threatening illness and if I'm right Cindy I remember you years ago saying how many of you if you were presented you'd say this to all your audiences how many of you were presented with a life threatening illness would change the way you eat drink and think and everybody puts their hand up and she said well statistics show actually only one in ten of you actually will yeah mm. even yeah. when they're presented with a life threatening illness yeah there wouldn't be many that would do what you did. No, they would. They would just follow the medical fraternity, yeah. and pro- probably would not be here. Now. Yeah, probably. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's not not the easy path by any means. It's it's tough, but it is so rewarding. Like you've got to be in it for the for everything that it is. I mean, it's tough, and there's so many challenging components to it, but the benefits are are just amazing because. I, I look at my life now compared to what it was back then, and there's no comparison. I mean, everything that I have, I, I, I have cancer in my body, but my life is so much better now than it was before I had that knowledge. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just, I just respect this brilliant body and this brilliant life that I've had the privilege to be in at this point in time. If you didn't, if, if people didn't have to get cancer mm. to get this, what would be your message? How would you tell someone get this without getting, getting cancer. cancer? Yeah, like what is your message? Mm. Really, what is your message now to people to try and wake them up? I mean, they don't have to be as radical as what I've been. It's definitely not. Um, but it's just making baby steps towards this direction, and just, I guess, just. Being open to how good they can actually feel because that's what everybody wants. All you want to do is feel good and people don't feel good. 
So they just need to recognise that there are other options out there and that they can, I don't know, start to treat themselves better. I think mm. that's the biggest thing. People don't treat themselves well at all. They put themselves last. They don't make themselves a priority. Um, yeah, I think this. So this has been such an amazing and an inspiring interview with Jess Ainsco that we've actually decided to split it into two parts. So next week we're going to have Jess back on the podcast again and we're going to continue the interview with her where we're going to go further down the rabbit hole and further on the journey with Jess where she's going to be revealing more of her experiences and what she's learned with us. You definitely don't want to miss it. So make sure that you tune back in. What we'd really love to hear from you right now, though, is your comments on this part of the podcast, on this part of Jess's journey. So go to our Facebook page at allthews.facebook.com forward slash up for a chat and post your comments there. Or you can also post your comments on allthews.thewellnesscouch.com forward slash up for a chat. And join us here next week for more of Jess Ainsco and become part of the ripple effect that's changing the world. We'll see you on the ride. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst The Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of The Wellness Couch podcasts.